Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. This is Declan Garvey, editor of the Morning Dispatch, and today we're talking to Alan Fung. Fung spent 12 years as the mayor of Cranston, the second biggest city in Rhode Island, and is currently running for one of the state's two congressional seats. Axios recently labeled him the GOP's most moderate candidate this cycle, and if he wins, he'll be the first Republican to represent Rhode Island in Congress in nearly two decades. I spoke with Fung on Wednesday morning about his decision to run for Congress, what he'd like to see happen in a GOP-controlled House, and why he thinks so-called Rockefeller Republicans have struggled so much in recent years. He was very much in campaign mode, so make of that what you will. But I thought it'd be interesting to talk to him, and look forward to hearing what you all think. Alan, thank you so much for for joining us on the Dispatch Podcast. No, thanks for having me on, Declan. You've run a a lot of political campaigns in your life, serving as mayor of Cranston for 12 years. You were Rhode Island's Republican gubernatorial nominee uh, in 2014 and 2018. Uh, But this is your first time running for federal office. So what's been the, the, the biggest difference about this experience compared to your earlier races? And how do you think those experiences as mayor and as the gubernatorial nominee uh, have prepared you to, to be a member of Congress? Well, I think what is important that I'm reminding a lot of the voters in the district, as well as the people in the state of Brown, is, you know, I've been mayor of our state's second largest city for 12 years, where I had the opportunity to, you know, take a city that was hurting financially, working a uh, across the aisle in a bipartisan manner to do things in a right way and make sure that, you know, we turn the city around into one of the best cities to live in America. And that's the record that I bring to the table, uh, the experiences that I have of leading, governing, doing it in the right way is what is needed right now, especially since, you know, many people in the district, many people around, many people across the country are hurting right now. You know, hurting from the failed policies of this president, Joe Biden, and this Congress led by Nancy Pelosi that's ratcheted up spending so much that we're at 40-year record high inflations that driving up, you know, prices not just for gas, but groceries, eggs, milks, bread, the essentials that everyone uh, needs. So, you know, as I've been out there at the doors, fairs and festivals, at big events, just talking to voters, I'm listening to their stories. I want to be a voice for them down in Washington, D.C. And having that experience uh, and, you know, the wind at my back, it was really helping in this campaign because um, it is a cost of living crisis that we're all living through. I'm talking about those issues, unlike my opponent who wants to distract from everything else. You know, I've talking to members of Congress over the the past three or four years that I've, I've been a journalist, and I've gotten a sense, especially among those who have uh, had previous executive experience, that they, there's, there's a lot of frustrations moving from, you, you know, uh, uh, a mayor's uh, position or the, the, the gubernatorial mansion to a legislature where, you know, you have less say as, in and of yourself of what's getting done and kind of you have to work more collaboratively and, uh, and, and get kind of frustrated with, with the, the gears of Congress grinding like that. Do you anticipate that being a kind of a, a frustration that you see, or, or how do you think that you'll be able to uh, bring your mayoral experience to, to Congress? Well, that's the other thing, too, because not only during that mayoral experience where I had to uh, compromise, negotiate, whether it was with 
you know, the uh, unions that we had on a lot of collective bargaining agreements with the council on important legislation. But even taking a step back, you know, a lot of people forget that I served two terms on the city council as well. You know, that legislative experience where you had to, you know, sit across the aisle from uh, individuals to drive legislation home. So I have that unique blend of experience at both the legislative level, uh, governing level as a mayor. And those are the types of talents I want to take to Washington, D.C., because where I see a real need is, you know, that balance. You know, I want to bring back that voice of uh, that brand of New England republicanism that's been missing for the past couple of years uh, down in Washington, D.C., the fact we don't have a single Republican, not just in Rhode Island, uh, in the federal delegation, but you know, in all of New England and the House is, you know, a missing voice. And I want to be that rebirth of bringing people together, just like I've done in Cranston, just like what I've done for Rhode Islanders. So you ran both your gubernatorial campaigns against uh, Gina Raimondo, who has spent the last year and a half as, as President Biden's Commerce Secretary. I know noticed on your campaign agenda, you have a, a plank about modernizing the supply chain and that kind of stuff. How, how do you think that former Governor Raimondo has been doing in, in her new role? Well, you know, one of the um, uh, bills that I would have supported in that bipartisan nature is that CHIPS Act, because I wholeheartedly agree that we've got to bring back some of the chips manufacturing to our country, especially since, you know, the you know, China-Taiwan relationship is extremely rocky and dicey right now. The instability overseas, uh, where Taiwan right now is the worldwide, you know, leader in those microchips, if anything happens over there, it can threaten not just our economy, but the global economy. So, you know, that pushes one uh, for that CHIPS Act that I supported uh, because it's sorely needed. And, you know, uh, the former governor, uh, was, you know, took a big uh, lead in that. On that note, are there some areas where you think that a Republican House majority, if, if you are elected, would be able to find common ground with the Biden administration over the next two years uh, as, as kind of if there's divided government from 2023 to 2025? Absolutely. You know, while, you know, our focus has to be to rein in some of this out of control unchecked spending that's been coming from uh, this Congress led by Speaker Pelosi, uh, and certainly the crippling uh, policies from uh, President Biden. We've got to rein in some of the spending, but that also means that we've got to be smart about how we spend our dollars. You know, infrastructure, especially in the Northeast, Rhode Island, New England area, is something that's critically needed. We've got a lot of old bones, and I'm not just talking about our roads and bridges. You know, we've got a lot of water sewer lines that need improvements. Uh, we also have uh, ports, you know, sim, uh, in our district, we've got Quonset Port, um, Galilee, as well as Providence Port, that is a great conduit for a lot of those businesses that are sorely need some, you know, additional dollars to kind of help support their infrastructure so that many of the businesses, many of the manufacturers that are doing business there have an efficient supply chain that they can rely upon. So those are some of the areas that I think that we can work you know, uh, to gather on to kind of improve not just Rhode Island, but improve our country. Do you think that there's um, additional infrastructure spending needed in addition to what was passed uh, last year on, on a bipartisan basis? Let's take a look at how those dollars are spent <laughs> first, because, uh, we, you know, the government can't continue to be this giant uh, ATM out the window, uh, a giant balance on your credit limit. 
you know, let's take a look at those dollars that, you know, have gone out already under that infrastructure bill, see how it's spent and, you know, see what else might be needed because it might be enough, but you just never know. But I'm always been cautious, fiscally responsible. And that's the approach I'll take down in Washington, D.C. You've made fighting inflation, uh, fiscal responsibility, bringing down energy costs, a, a key message in, in your campaign. But if you are elected and Republicans gain a majority in the House, there's probably not much on that front that you'd be able to get past a, a presidential veto. Do you think that kind of simply serving as a, a check on federal spending and ensuring that President Biden and his administration are not able to spend as much money as they might want to is enough to ease inflation on, on that front? Yeah, being a check is, you know, I think a first step. And it's important that we, you know, take back the House. And it looks good that you know, from all the political pundits right now, that we have that great opportunity uh, to take back the House and provide that check and balance, you know, within our system of government. And that's what I, you know, will be down in Washington, D.C., continuing that fiscal responsibility that I've shown during 12 years in Cranston, where I took a city that was hurting financially in the red. And, you know, through common sense, solutions, as well as, you know, just watching your spending, reining it in. We did the right things to, you know, make sure that by the end, we had the highest bond rating the city had in decades. And that's what we have to do down in Washington, D.C. too. Strategic spending, but also being a check on what is going on right now that's caused this record high inflation. And what's really crippling, not just, you know, um, the country, but more importantly, Rhode Islanders and those of us in New England, our energy costs, you know, uh, we're very heavily reliant on home heating oil up here in the Northeast. And, you know, in the short two years that President Biden has been in office, there has been a 97% increase in home heating oil just to Rhode Islanders. That's unconscionable. Now coming into the um, winter season, you know, our state regulators just approved a 47% electricity increase. You know, more money is coming out of the pockets of your hardworking Rhode Islanders than is coming in. That's why we need new leadership providing a check on, you know, the um, the instability that's going on in Washington, D.C. right now from this democratically controlled Congress and the president. I, I think that um, a lot of Republican candidates are making a similar case to that, that just, you know, even just serving as a check would would be kind of a a meaningful step forward in terms of uh, improving some of those those economic outcomes that we're seeing. I don't think you'd disagree with me if I said you're you're kind of running a pretty unique campaign for a Republican. I think Axios had a story a couple of weeks ago labeling you the the most moderate candidate for Congress. But your your Democratic opponent, Seth Magaziner, is nationalizing the race. I, I like we're seeing kind of in, in races across the country, making it less about Alan Fung, former mayor of Cranston, and more about Alan Fung, Republican. Um, I, I think a recent ad highlighted that your first vote in Congress, if elected, would, would be to make Kevin McCarthy speaker. Could you provide a, a few examples of places where you expect you probably would disagree with, with McCarthy or with the majority of your uh, would-be Republican colleagues? Sure. Before I get to that, though, I think my opponent missed the memo from Nancy Pelosi's number two, Steny Hoyer, when he recognized that I wasn't an extremist, that I'm a popular mayor. And even members of our federal delegation recognize that I'm a likable individual and someone who has been effective as a mayor. And, you know, in my uh, position, in my role, 
I'm going to take that same attitude where I work together across the aisle and be a voice for Rhode Islanders. So I can, you know, we talked about, um, you know, one of those bills, the CHIPS Act, where, you know, even though the Republicans, um, a, a good chunk of Republicans didn't agree with it, that's something I would have voted on. Or even, you know, that infrastructure bill. Now, granted, it was, you know, some bigger dollars, but it's much needed dollars that would help improve not just infrastructure, but improve our economy. Because if you do it in the right way, it helps support businesses who are the ones creating jobs for Rhode Island, for our country. Being in D.C. covering Congress, some of the stuff that um, Republicans have floated doing if, if they retake the majority is there's some talk about using the debt ceiling uh, or or government funding mechanisms to kind of force tougher votes on border wall, uh, Social Security and uh, and Medicare reforms. Are those things that you think that you would end up supporting if, if you were elected? Well, on Social Security, this is one of the areas that, you know, my opponent, again, is totally outright lying about my positions on Social Security because, you know, on, my mom, after a 35-year career, you know, owning her own small business, a Chinese restaurant with my dad that they ran, is retired now. And she's relying upon, you know, that Social Security check. And, you know, he's outright just lying because he's losing in the polls and every single public poll uh, and misstating, you know, things all around. But especially on this, because this is deeply personal, you know, for me, I do anything to shore up Social Security for people like my mom, people on fixed incomes that are just relying upon it. You know, the people that are really hurting uh, seniors like my mom and others is, you know, uh, the Democrats. They're doing it through this rampant runaway inflation where, you know, more dollars for grocery prices, gas prices, home heating oil are causing many seniors, especially those on fixed incomes, to wonder how they're going to heat their homes, how they're going to feed their um, their families or themselves, even how they're going to pay for the uh, high prescription drug costs. This is what, you know, we really have to tackle, shore up uh, Social Security in the right way, in a bipartisan manner. Uh, not like these scare tactics that they want to, you know, run uh, their mouth uh, and trying to scare seniors in, you know, just for their vote. Do you think that that there are certain reforms that need to be taken in ter- for fiscally responsible reasons and in terms of balancing the budget longer term that uh, on Social Security? Yeah, they, you know, I'd be supportive of uh, one of the bipartisan measures that, you know, both uh, Republicans and Democrats in Congress have looked at called Scrap the Cap. Where, you know, uh, individuals like my opponent, Seth Magaziner, and his family, who doesn't have to rely upon, um, you know, Social Security like my mom, would shoulder a little bit more of the burden to help shore up the program. Another area where, uh, you know, Republicans would really have some uh, real authority if they take back the House is congressional investigations and and having subpoena power and ability to call people before Congress and, and interrogate them. I'm going to run through a couple different things that have been floated as, as potential investigations. And if you could let me know whether you think that that's something that's worthwhile and something that we need to devote energy and resources to in, in the next Congress. So to, to start the Afghanistan withdrawal, the Biden administration's decision to withdraw from Afghanistan, do you think that that's something that we should have some more congressional oversight on? Well, I'm not uh, going down to Washington, D.C. to kind of take a look back on everything else. I'm always for accountability, oversight, and transparency in government. 
you know, I would, you know, use that oversight function to look at the current decisions that are being made by our president um, that are hurting our economy. First and foremost, you know, making sure that, you know, everything is economically focused. But if he's not listening to our military leaders, um, you know, we have to make sure that, you know, there's that appropriate uh, balance where, you know, we listen to those that are on the ground that know um, you know, what is happening and can fully brief members of Congress as to, you know, what they really need to help support our troops, help uh, defend our country. The next one is having to do with the pandemic, COVID-19, a little bit more of a stringent look at the origins of the virus and, and whether or not NIH-funded gain-of-function research in, in Wuhan in China had anything to do with with the emergence of the virus. Do you think that that's something that Congress should should be involved in and, and taking a look at? Uh, I think where Congress really should take a look at is a lot of those uh, pandemic relief dollars uh, that went out, you know, because that caused a big spike in our inflation because of the amount of money that went, you know, to not just governments, but just out to uh, support many of the programs. We need to make sure uh, for transparency purposes and accountability purposes that those dollars were spent appropriately. Um, we already know it's, you know, it's been too much that have, you know, uh, helped keep this inflation at record highs. Uh, we need to uh, be in Congress ensuring that those dollars went where it should be to actually help people, help businesses, uh, and that government is uh, accountable for how they spent those dollars. So you don't think it's necessarily should be a priority about the origins of COVID-19 kind of, you know, the World Health Organization has done their preliminary report and kind of let it let it be at that and focus on stuff moving forward. Look, I, I trust a lot of the scientists um, on that. My focus is on ensuring the dollars are spent wisely. And it really is the number one priority of people is this economy driving down inflation. But as you know, government spends. Uh, today, and going forward, we've got to be accountable and transparent to the taxpayers of where those dollars, you know, uh, are spent and whether it was appropriate to be uh, spent in these areas. And then last one, a lot of talk among Republicans about looking into Hunter Biden and kind of his foreign business dealings. I know the, the Justice Department is conducting an investigation, but do you think Congress should be conducting kind of a parallel look? You know, for me, I was a former career prosecutor at our state's attorney general's office, criminal prosecutor. I would trust a lot in the career professionals um, at Justice that are there to do the right things with any of those type of investigations. Um, and, you know, I'd leave it at that. So in a in a debate last week, you you named uh, Massachusetts outgoing Republican Governor Charlie Baker as, as one of your political role models. I, I say outgoing, though, because he's, he's leaving office this year, as are, you know, a lot of other Republicans in that mold, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan being one of them. And you mentioned this earlier that currently I think Susan Collins in Maine is the only New England Republican currently in the House or the Senate. Why do you think that wing of the GOP, I guess you you could call it the Rockefeller ring, has shrunk so much in recent years. Do you think that your race, Bruce Poliquin, some of these other candidates uh, are, are uh, possible to, to bring that back? You know, I'm, uh, you know Bruce is uh, someone I'm close with. We text a lot uh, back and forth. And I hope uh, Bruce and I, maybe George Logan, who's running a good race out in Connecticut, 
can help uh, lead that rebirth of that New England Republican, that centrist uh, leadership that's, um, you know, been missing for the past few years and bring it down to Washington, D.C., because I've always been a big tent, open tent, you know, type of individual where we need a, you know, spectrum of individuals with diverse ideas. Respectful dialogue is what I've been about, and I believe in growing you know, that uh, party growing that centrist movement. So we have more individuals like myself, Bruce, George, you know, Governor Baker, Governor Sununu, all focused on doing the right thing, you know, checking sometimes those party labels at the door because the focus is on uh, our, not just voters, but our residents in our respective states in our region. Do you have any thoughts on why that wing of the party has shrunk in recent years? I know Governor Sununu in New Hampshire, um, you know, kind of pointedly decided not to run for Congress this year. He gave some some reasons of, uh, about the direction of the party and kind of what his role as a legislator would be um, in, in that party. Do you think that there are, you know, policy changes uh, that has that there's been a shift among Republicans or kind of tonal changes? What do you think it is that has led New England Republicans to kind of fall by the wayside? I think you've seen this uh, nationally where it's been, you know, on both sides of the aisle, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, um, a push, you know, towards, you know, the extremes, you know, and we need to build back, you know, that middle. And that's what I'm, you know, uh, hoping to, uh, to do instead of going, you know, um, uh, I've always been, you know, that centrist moderate and I want to kind of continue to, you know, build that back up uh, instead of, you know, um, being part of any extreme. There's been a, a huge variety among Republicans running this year in terms of how they think about and treat former President Trump in their races, how centrally they're putting him um, and kind of, you know, what what role they see for him as the, as the future of the Republican Party. I think, you know, we've seen in Colorado, Senate candidates actively saying they don't want him to run in 2024. There's obviously plenty of candidates who say they really, really want him to run in 2024. Uh, do you have a position on that? Do you have um, thoughts about where you think the Republican Party should go forward looking this year and to 2024? Well, I, I can tell you, I'm just focused on, you know, this election upcoming in 13 short days now. You know, I'll worry about who's running after people start declaring. But I think, you know, from both sides of the aisle, whether you're Democrat, Republican, people are looking for fresh faces because we're certainly living through the disastrous, you know, economic policies in short two years of our current president, Joe Biden, that has led to these record high cost of living crises at gas, groceries and, you know, important for Rhode Islanders, home heating oil. And we've got to make a change uh, and a positive change with someone who's laser focused on the economy. I like to end any conversation I'm having with a candidate during campaign season uh, with a question, just talking about some of their favorite interactions that they've had with voters on the campaign trail, stories that have resonated with them, things that they've learned about both you know their communities and, and the country as they're going around and, and campaigning for office. Yeah, the one thing I will say that is pretty historic, outside the fact that I'd be the first Republican in thirty plus years to you know hold this seat, uh, is the fact that you know it's been inspirational. You know, we've been seeing a lot of young kids, a lot of minorities, being inspired by the potential that I could be the first minority you know, to hold a federal office in Rhode Island. You know, we broke uh, that barrier by me becoming the first Asian American uh, mayor in our state's history. 
And we were able to impact so many of the next generation, especially those high school students that uh, saw me supporting them, that politics is something where, you know, uh, can be, uh, you can achieve good things, but doing it in the right way. And it doesn't have to be about, you know, that uh, partisan divide. And that's where it's been fun on the campaign trail, seeing that next generation um, get inspired, have hope that it doesn't have to be everything that they read in the paper, see on television, see on YouTube, see on social media, that it can be uh, someone who is, you know, one of them and can, you know, be an immigrant like my parents were and have their son knocking on the door of Congress. So that's the one special thing that, you know, I've really kind of taken away from this campaign, uh, that campaign of hope and inspiration for the next generation. Alan Fung, thank you so much for joining the Dispatch Podcast. Thanks, Declan. Appreciate it. 